0: Hey there. Thanks for tuning in to Ermia Matters, a podcast about higher education, risk management, and insurance. Let's
1: get to it. Hi, everyone. I'm Julie Groves, the Director of Risk Services at Wake Forest University in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and I'll be your host for today's episode of Ermia Matters. With me today is Stephen Dunham, who is the Chief Risk Officer at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte, right down the road from me. And also with me is Lou Drapeau, who is Ermia's fantastic resource manager. So, welcome to the podcast today, gentlemen. Uh, We're going to talk about uh, Ermia's recent survey of the top 10 risks unique to higher education and what all went into that process. But before we get started in our discussion, Stephen, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about you?
2: Thank you, Julie. Uh, As you mentioned, I am the Chief Risk Officer for Charlotte. Um, In that role, I have responsibility for enterprise risk management. I also have uh, oversight responsibilities for operational risk management, including our property and casualty lines of insurance, as well as workers' compensation claims management. With that said, my primary personal responsibility is enterprise risk management. I was hired three years ago by Charlotte to design and implement from scratch a new enterprise risk management program. And I'm pleased to say we've matured that program quite a bit over time. Um, for those who don't know, Charlotte University uh, is a has 30,000 uh, students and uh, you know, a, a growing athletic department.
1: Go 49ers. That's right. Um, and so, Lou, most people know you, but why don't you let folks know a, a little bit about your background and how you ended up on the ERMIA staff?
0: Okay, happy to do that. Um, Like Stephen, I spent uh, 22 years in the private sector before uh, going to higher education at the University of Kentucky, where I was director of risk management for 12 years there, retiring in uh, 2015. And uh, I had been an ERMIA member since 2003. And uh, a year or two later, um, there was a Host for a job opening at Ermia for a resource manager, and I applied for it. And Ermia uh, hired me, and so here I am. I've been here for about five years now.
1: That's great. Well, we are very fortunate to have you. So uh, I'm glad you decided to come out of retirement and work with us. So tell us, uh, Lou, about how this idea for this survey came about.
0: Well, I had been asked several times over a period of probably a couple of years if we had ever done a survey of our membership to determine what their top 10 risks were. And uh, fortunately or unfortunately, the answer to that was no, we had not done that. And so... um, Gary Langsdale and I were having a conversation one day about risks and about top 10. Should we, you know, do something? And I mentioned that, well, gee, we had a couple of people that had asked about that and that maybe we should go ahead and do such a survey and see what happens. So we basically developed uh, a relatively simple survey. We asked people to, in free form, list the top 10 risks at their university in order of importance. In other words, the biggest risk was number one, and the lowest risk of the 10 was going to be number 10. And we just left it freeform open so they could answer in however they wanted to. If it was a large category risk or just an individual risk, uh, they could list it however they wanted.
1: So I'm sure that doing that gave you a large amount of really interesting and yet uh, disparate information. So how are you going about the process of looking at all this information people sent you and trying to put it in categories? I mean, how are you trying? How are you going about getting your arms around it?
0: Okay, well, that that was obviously the first big problem. Um, we downloaded all the data and looked at it from the standpoint of the individual listing of risks, what a, a particular risk might be, and I started looking at those vis-a-vis our the ERMIA risk inventory, which has all of the various risks that uh, we've come across in higher education, but categorized into different areas, um, you know, like students or, you know, safety, uh, whatever the cases may be. And so the, the way that I was looking at the data, the only meaningful way that I could see that it would be helpful to any anyone was to categorize it similarly to how we did it in the risk inventory to be able to come up with any reasonable numbers to be able to to tell which ones were the top risks. The other thing we had to deal with was if somebody listed a particular risk in the number one category and someone else, listed the same risk in the number three category how were we going to uh you know mix that all up and and make it come out in a in a meaningful manner and so what i finally did with it was to reorganize them basically by uh the you know where they what the positions were so the number one risks i added more weight and less weight to number two and number three and on down to number 10 getting the least weight The really interesting thing was in doing that, it didn't change because we had already categorized them. It really didn't change much of how it came out in the order of categories. I think there were only uh, two changes that didn't really, you know, like number three went to number five or something like that. So, uh, but that was the best way that we could think of to be was weighting them like that uh, to be able to take into consideration that someone had listed a risk as number one and somebody else had risked it, had listed it as number three or number five.
1: Just out of curiosity, did anybody have pandemic in their top ten? It's interesting because had you had you done the same survey in twenty nineteen. I feel certain no one would have had pandemic on there, but it's, it's interesting now that we've been through what we've been through. I just was curious if anybody even listed that at all. Or maybe people feel like because we've been through it, we know what to do now. I think,
0: I think that was the big thing was now there are some of the risks that were listed in number one are the result of problems with the pandemic, like declining enrollment and student retention, some of those kinds of things. But there's, I don't think anybody listed as number one, just straight pandemic.
1: Well, do you think there is any value in combining all these risks you've gathered from the various institutions? I mean, what do you think universities can do with this information?
0: Well, I guess it's an interesting exercise to look at if if someone is thinking about, well, gee, how can I, you know, come up with my top 10 risks? They could certainly look at this and see the categories. That might give them, you know, some sort of an idea of where they're going and and where their risks might uh, fall. Another thing that I think it would probably lead them to is if you then went to the risk inventory and now you're looking at all of those individual risks. And with the new features that we have in the uh, risk inventory, you can actually select the individual risks that you want to make your own uh, risk inventory out of, and download that, and you now have a list of your risks for your institution. Um, so I think as kind of a, a process that creates kind of a process, you look at the, at the combined risks first, and then you look at your risks in the risk inventory, and you might come up at a, as a good starting point with how you're going to deal with the risks that you have at your institution, say, for instance, as part of an ERM program.
1: Well, and I do think one of the things about surveys is, or survey results is it helps you realize you're not alone, right? So you can, you can read what other people have responded as their you know, top 10 risks. And it, it helps you feel like you're, you're not fighting this fight by yourself. Other institutions are dealing with very similar situations and concerns um, to what you're dealing with. So, um, so Stephen, talk a little bit about how you, so from an institutional point of view, how you would suggest that institutions go about identifying their own top 10 risks if they haven't done that already.
2: You know, I think uh, a survey is absolutely a very common approach and uh, a very value-added approach uh, to go. You know, I think that the, all the, the challenges and the benefits of doing a survey, like we just talked about, are, are the first step. But I think we need to be clear that that really is just the, the first step in the process. Because really, when you need to identify and prioritize your, your risks for your institutions, you know, you can find that a survey can be something nothing more than like watching an episode of Family Feud, right? You know, you get 100 people to enter a a random survey, and you get 10 smart people trying to guess all the survey results. And despite their best efforts, they still can't pick the last one or two, because you it's likely you're going to get some, some results, some outliers, some, some unexpected or maybe even just uh, unrealistic responses. So I think the, the important way of making sure that when you're evaluating your top risks at your university is to take your survey results the next step and really engage. Hopefully you have one, but if not, you can create one of peer governance, risk and compliance Put people. You know, if, if you don't have an ERM committee, feel free to pull together a person from legal or audit and compliance and maybe operational risk management. And and let's sit down and have a peer-reviewed discussion about the reality and the, the real residual risk for, for each risk you find in your survey so you don't end up with that kind of oddball result still floating there in, in your answers. I think that uh, that is a, a good way to to finalize your, your risk. I think another way uh, to really enhance the output and the value of the, the your top risk list is to, you know, take a step back and take a look at what fundamentally uh, ISO 31000 says about risk. And that's a framework for enterprise risk management. It defines risk as uh, uncertainties effect on objectives. And so I think another real helpful way to Get objective rather than just subjective information and insight into whether your top risks are really you know optimized is to compare the results of your peer reviewed survey results with your your institution's strategic plan uh, or the, the the key strategic objectives that your organization has. Uh, some organizations even have key performance indicators identified in a dashboard. And, and making sure and to a, to the degree using that objective data of your organization's objectives and, and KPIs can be another way of validating top risks. Because if a risk doesn't affect a top objective of your organization, I'm not certain it really could qualify as a, a, a top risk if it's not going to affect an objective based on the definition of risk.
1: Along those same lines, tell us how you suggest... People who are getting started, maybe in this process, how do they go about identifying emerging risks? Because, you know, those are the things that everybody's afraid of, but we don't know about them yet. And so, so talk a little bit about how, how people can go about y- using some of this, those either the survey or using, you know, their risk committee to, to determine what some maybe emerging risks for their universities are? Sure, absolutely.
2: You know, and I think emerging risks has yet to be maybe clearly defined or universally defined. But, you know, uh, and I think emerging risks can depend on when you're doing the analysis. I think that was a perfect example earlier when you spoke about um, pandemics and and those being emerging or not. Um, You know, I the first place you can start, I think, are surveys like this, right? Uh, let's use the example of, say, demographics and the demographic shift. Um, you know, I'm here comfortably in Charlotte in the southeast. And, you know, as I, as I personally understand the demographic risk, you know, we've got a kind of universal national exposure to lower birth rates, uh, you know, creating lower numbers of traditional high school graduates in the coming years. And that's going to create a, a demographic shift that's going to affect the enrollment uh, of institutions across the nation. That com- that risk is going to be you know felt and experienced at different rates depending on where you are in the nation. Based on my understanding of the risk, uh, entities, universities, institutions in the Rust Belt or in the Northeast that have higher experience that experience higher migration out of their state among you know that age group will begin to experience those risks sooner than those in the Southeast or the South where the the risk is expected to kind of be prolonged a little bit. So just by eye in this, for that particular risk, it will be emerging to me now, but could very well right now be a real risk that, you know, when I say a real risk, they could be experiencing the actual negative outcomes of that uncertainty in real time at a certain part of the nation. Whereas for I, it's more of a leading indicator. So I think a, a risk like that versus something like inflation, where I think we're all kind of experiencing it at the same time. So when you look at emerging risks, surveys, national surveys, global surveys, I think can be places to provide insight on things that might be coming your way. And I'll say this for, for looking at uh, the, the results of surveys. You should be as a as a ERM practitioner at least. You should be able to look at the Armia survey or other surveys, whether whether they may come from whether it's the you know the ERM Institute at in North Carolina State or um, under United Educators or any other place. You see these top ten risk lists coming from. You should be able to articulate why or why not your particular institution is exposed or not. Whether the residual risk that your institution is exposed to as it relates to those risks is a top 10 risk for you or not. Um, If you can't answer that question, then I think that's the right time to go out and find the risk owner or the subject matter expert in your institution related to that risk and have a conversation about, I'm seeing this in other areas not coming to tell you as the risk owner that I know better than you that this is a bigger risk than you think it is, but rather you as the risk owner going humbly to say, I'm learning about this. This is something that that I'm being exposed to. Can you help me understand why or why not we have an acceptable level of residual risk related to that? So I think all of that kind of creates an appropriate emerging risk understanding. I think it's really helpful to to have active relationships with your ERM committee. Uh, again, if you don't have one, I really think it's important to have a cross-functional committee. Uh, I, I think it's uh, important to Keep it cabinet level minus one, because what you get is the people who are exposed to both the the most strategic thinking in the organization, while at the same time trying to balance the the daily pragmatic efforts of the the organization and really kind of know what's going on uh, at the tactical level. And, and having regular dialogues in a committee that, that can bring to light, not just to use the risk manager, but to, uh, to peers in, in various uh, parts of the institution, that they can be exposed to emerging risks is another way to, to make sure that uh, you're aware of what's going on.
0: An interesting uh, side note to what Stephen just said, um, enrollment was the number three risk in this survey that we just did.
1: So, Lou, if people are interested in this survey, I mean, I know you're still trying to get your arms around it. But if people are interested in the survey or have questions about it, how can they get information about it?
0: Well, number one, it is posted in the uh, Ermia library under Ermia surveys. Um, but if somebody had particular questions or whatever, I'd be happy to have them click the Ask Lou button. And uh, I'd be happy to help them in any way that I can.
1: Great. Everybody take advantage of the Ask Lou button because it's a great feature of, of Ermia and our, our website. And Lou is a great resource. So, which is, I guess, uh, how we got to this conversation today, because somebody asked if we'd ever done this. So is there anything else you all want to add before we close out our discussion?
0: Well, I think at this point, we've pretty much covered where we are. Like we said, we haven't really solved anything necessarily, but I think we've had a pretty interesting discussion and gotten some interesting results from this survey and uh, see where we go as we go forward. We will be reinstituting the surveys that Glenn used to do on risks and emerging risks, and so we'll be getting a new one out here uh, in the next month or so. So uh, <clears throat> that may also provide some interesting results.
2: Yeah, I, I might add that, you know, when, when I look around, you know, having practiced the around you know, for at least a decade as just pure enterprise risk management, I, I think we're living and experiencing a more dynamic and, uh changing, unpredictable environment than we ever have in the past. I I remember years of creating, you know, my top 10 risks. And really, even as I changed industry from retail to manufacturing, so there was subtle, there would be very subtle changes in what you would perceive as your top 10 risks over time. I mean, you'd really have to do something like, uh, I'll tra- I'll try to use examples from higher ed, like unless you added a medical school, right? Or unless you really did something bold, international, like trying to create an international extension of your university or some type of M&A activity, you really, you know, Uh, Maybe a a major change in regulation like Title IX or something like that. Occasionally, you would see like something interject itself like into this new top 10 risk. But for the most part, it seemed by industry, those top 10 risks pretty much were static, stable, kind of understood risks. And I think just the pandemic really changed everything. You know, it's brought a lot of significant new public health and safety issues to bear. You know, the lockdowns brought significant and brand new operational and financial challenges to manage. Uh, it stressed our emergency management and business continuity plans and resources to the limit. And I, I'm just, I'll be honest, I'm not even sure that we've ultimately understood the, the long-term impacts on employee and student retention and satisfaction. To me, our person at Charlotte, our top 10 risks, if you will, have had new entrants and have had, you know, some shakeup unlike we've seen in the past years because of the dynamic nature that this pandemic wasn't just oh, a, a peak of health and safety challenges. It's it's really resulted in some, some long-term shifts of, you know, employment and uh, safety and security and, and in the ways people want to learn and, and the operational uh, dynamics that, that I think surveys like this really, can go away to, again, helping you to identify emerging risks or, or risks that, you know, are kind of unique or niche for particular, uh, you know, scenarios.
1: Great. Well, that's, that's very helpful. I just, I want to thank you both for being here today. Thanks for your work on the survey, Lou and you and um, Gary. And uh, if you're interested, again, go on the website and check it out. I will just close by saying that wraps another episode of Ermia Matters.
2: You've been listening to Ermia Matters. You can find more information about Ermia at www.urmia.org. For more information about this episode, check out the show notes available to Ermia members in the Ermia Network Library.